great doctrine in that song. Um, I mentioned a week or two ago a song that you should look up on YouTube. This is another one. Look up Rock of Ages. The best rendition I've ever heard of it was Vestal Goodman. I don't know if you've ever heard her sing it, Vestal Goodman. So on YouTube, she just, she belts it out, and especially that last verse. She's got this hanky that's like the size of a tent, and she just starts waving her hanky too as she does it. So Vestal Goodman, the Rock of Ages, you should listen to it. It'll be a blessing to your heart. This morning, we're continuing on our series in 1 Peter. Last week, we were outside, and uh, it was fun watching Allison duck from those bugs out there. That was a fun thing. You were, you did pretty good, you know. So it's nice to be inside the building. It's nice to have air. It's nice to have the screens. It's a lot nicer to be in the building. But in Bible days, they didn't have a building at all. They were just outside. They didn't have chairs even. So we're, we're blessed in what we have. So don't ever take that for granted. If you weren't here two weeks ago, so two weeks ago would have been Labor Day weekend, and a lot of people were gone that day, or maybe you were here physically, but mentally you were checked out and you don't remember that day, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the message from that Sunday. We talked about the importance of craving the Word of God. And in all reality, th today's message really should have been with, la with that message. And next, week's me or next week we have the family conference. So in two weeks, technically all this should be one sermon, but you would have been here for two hours. That's why I split it up like I did. And you can thank me later for that. But as we look at it here today, we're going to go back and read verse number 1 and then go through verse number 12 today. I want to encourage you, as I said, go back and listen to that message about the importance of the Word of God in our lives. We as believers don't do a great job of being in the Word of God like we should. And there's so much to that. So if you weren't here two weeks ago, I encourage you to go back and listen. But let's start in chapter number 2, verse number 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a lively stone disallowed indeed of men, or rejected of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, or the stone they rejected, the same is made the head, corner, head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God 
in the day of visitation. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have. I pray that you would guide us and help us today. We love you. We need you. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for this passage. Help us apply it to our lives and to get what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Two weeks ago we dived into chapter number two. But if you go back with me and think on chapter number one, Peter's writing to several different groups of people that are scattered all over. They are pilgrims or strangers scattered all over. And he reminds them of the fact that they have a lively hope in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. Not only do they have a lively hope, but they have an inheritance that cannot be taken away. It cannot be destroyed. It's reserved in heaven for us. And not only that, we are kept by the power of God. So we have a lot of great blessings been given to us in our life. And then we've been redeemed, not by corruptible things, but by incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So because of that, we see in chapter number 2, verse number 1, it says, Wherefore, laying aside. So because of what the Lord's done, and because of all those things, there are some things we need to set aside. We need to put down and quit doing. Now let me help you out as we look here. You've got to understand, these were Christians that Peter was writing to. Am I correct? Lots of Christians. Not one church. Because if it was one church, it would have been written to a church. This was written to, by Peter, to lots of people, lots of different churches. So this is why he's telling the Christians, not the unsaved of those areas. He's talking to Christians. He says, verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. So Peter is saying here under inspiration from God that in these churches and these Christians, there are things we need to stop doing. So what were some, and I hear people often say, oh, if we could just go back to the early church, our churches would be so much better. Don't you realize there have always been problems in churches? Always? They had problems, we had problems. You say, why are there always problems in the church? Because we are perfect. There's not one person sitting in this room this morning that's perfect. And if you are perfect, we'll switch. I'll go sit down and you come up here. Okay? Because I would like to hear, if you're perfect and you know how to live life and to do things right for God all the time, come teach me. Because I will sit and I will listen to you. But we're all imperfect. And all churches have struggles. So these Christians, look at some of their problems they had. Laying aside all malice. The word malice, this is a general word for evil spiritedness. So it has the, it has the idea behind it to purposely harm somebody by action, but also by your words. So there were Christians in these churches that were purposely hurting people by the stuff they said. They wanted to hurt someone else by the things they said. Hey, you need to put all that malice aside. The second thing we see says you need to put all guile aside. The word guile is a picture of catching with bait. It refers to an deliberate, a, a deliberate attempt to mislead others. So there were people in those churches that were deliberately leading people astray. You say, would anybody ever lead someone astray in church? Yeah, it would happen. Why? Because everyone's not perfect. People have their own agendas, their own ideas. It happens. But Peter's saying, because of what the Lord's done, you got to take all that malice. That you need to put that away. Hey, you need to put away all that divisiveness and, that's, and trying to trick people and lead people astray. Look at the next thing he says. Hypocrisies. The word hypocrisy means to wear a mask. That's literally what it means. So the idea is pretending to be someone you're not. Do you, isn't this interesting? People say, oh, 
There are a bunch of hypocrites in church today. Yes, there were hypocrites in church 2,000 years ago. There have always been hypocrites in the church. And we get so worried about what everyone thinks, we should worry about what God thinks. Because he sees it all. You can't hide it from God. You are who you are. God sees all those things. Tonight, if you're here for our evening service, we're starting Acts chapter number 5. Ananias and Sapphira, I don't know who, they're trying to look good for all the people and what they said they would do, but the Spirit knew what they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Can't lie to the Holy Spirit. He sees it all. He knows it all. And so Peter is telling these Christians, hey, you need to put away all that malice. You need to get rid of all that guile. You need to get rid of your hypocrisies. You need to quit envying what everyone else has. Oh, so-and-so got a raise. I wish I got that raise. Or so-and-so got a new car. I wish I had that new car. You need to stop doing that. These were early believers doing these things. And then we look at the last one there. And, verse, and all evil speaking. The word evil speaking, this is translated as slander, and it's all kinds of unkind speech, and literally means to run someone down behind their back. Do you know what so-and-so did? And I hear, this, I hear from people, so-and-so told me about this, or so-and-so told me about this. If you're not going to someone who can help the situation, you're not helping the situation. You are literally talking bad about someone behind their back. The best thing you can do, I'm going to give you an example just to help you out with this one. So this happened a while back. Someone came to me and said, hey, do you know what so-and-so said about you at church? I'm like, hold on. They're outside. Let's go get them. And all three of us will talk together. Let's see. Oh, I don't want to do that. Then maybe you shouldn't be talking. Because you don't always know your facts either. But I would also say if something happens and something needs to be done, you need to go to the right people. But you talking to someone who can't help the situation, all you're doing is tearing someone down. And when you're tearing someone down, you're doing what the Bible says not to do right here. That, so there is the right way to approach things. But the Bible says, and Peter says here, hey, Christians in those churches, you got to put away all malice. you got to put away all guile, all hypocrisy, all envying, and all evil speaking. And when you do that, you need to crave the word of God. This is one of the things I see here is that you cannot do both. You can't be full of fleshly appetites and crave God's word at the same time. It doesn't work that way. So, and you get my thinking here. My thinking is that when you are doing those things, you're probably not spending the time in God's word that you should be spending. God's word could help you not talk bad about someone. God's word could help you quit being a hypocrite. Because God's word's going to keep showing you in the mirror, ooh, that's what I really look like. I, don't, I need to change that. You know? And so Peter says you need to get in the word of God. But then he goes a little deeper. And he says there's some other things. This is who Christ is. And because of who Christ is, this is who you are. And because of who you are, I beg you to be different than this world and to get along. That's literally what this whole passage is talking about. Now, as we think on this this morning, we're going to start, number one, with who Christ is. Now, before we dive into this and go deeper here, we have, our world has an identity crisis today. Have you realized that? There's an identity crisis going on around us. Christians have it too. You know, in our world, let's talk about the world for a minute. They don't know, you know, the Bible is simple. There's male and female. That's all there is. There's no gender neutral. There's no bi there's just male or female. Well, I don't know who I am today. Well, 
it's only two choices. That's the way it is. You know, I used this example last service. If I go into Home Depot and say, can you give me the gender neutral plumbing parts? There's no section for that. In plumbing, there's male and female. That's all there is. Um, I need the non-binary plumbing parts today. No, plumbing parts, no. They have their identity figured out. But people today don't have their identity figured out. And I get that in our world today. But there are so many Christians today that don't have their identity figured out. Who am I? I just don't know who I am. Your problem is you don't know who Jesus is. Because your identity as a Christian is not found. And I hear, I hear Christians all the time. I hear, I'm a Baptist, so I talk about what Baptists say. If you go to other churches, hopefully they talk about the bad things in their churches, you know, in their type of churches. So I'm not going to tell you what's bad in other churches. I'm just telling you as a Baptist. I hear Baptists say, oh, we're identified by three things. We're identified by soul winning, scriptures, and standards. I hear that in Baptist churches all the time. That's a load of baloney. Your identity comes in Jesus Christ. If you want to have some performance-based things as your standard or what you're known for, you're missing the point. Our, my identity today is in Jesus Christ. I am who I am today because of who he is and what he's done. I am not who I am today because I did anything or I carry a King James Bible in my hand or I wore a suit to church or I parted my hair just right, even though it is just about perfect today. That's not what does it. That has nothing to do with it. My identity is in Christ alone. My hope is found. Everything is about Christ. Let's get that straight. So this morning, before we see who we are, we need to see who Christ is. So read with me verse number 4 and 5. It says, to whom coming. And now that word coming is the same word that was used for the priest when he would go into the temple in the Old Testament. Now let's think about this for a minute before we go into this passage. In the Old Testament, the temple was built. In that temple, God's presence abode. And you could not, the average person could not just go in the temple to anywhere they wanted in there and do as they pleased. There were certain areas and certain things that only the priest could go and do. It was the priest that offered sacrifices. The priest could go into the, and it was only certain times and there were certain rules and regulations, but in the Old Testament, that temple represented God's presence, and it was an Old Testament viewing of Christ. The high priest in the temple is Christ, and the priests picture us, which we'll talk about here in a second. So the Bible says, and as we look here, we see we're supposed to put things away. We're supposed to, and if you notice, all the things we're supposed to put away are all relationship issues. So as Christians, we need to love one another as Christ loves us. And we need to do right among one another. And as we look at this, we need to be in God's word, and we need to draw closer. And as we come to Christ, look at what it says about Christ here. It says there in verse number 4, To whom coming, as unto a lively stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now, as we look at this and we think on these things today, we see who is Christ. Letter A, and this is what I want you to understand. When we understand who Christ is, we'll better understand who we are in him. Because it's in him we are who we are. So letter A, we see that Christ is the living stone. 
As we look there in verse number four, it literally means living stone. It means a stone that gives life and provides substance. It's like the rock that Moses smote in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 4 said, And it all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so when we think about who is Christ today, Christ is the one who gives us life. He's the one who sustains us. And so he is our living stone. And as we look at that and we think on that fact, without Christ, we're nothing. Without Christ, we are dead. Without Christ, there is no life. Without Christ, we don't have any substance. Without Christ, we are men most miserable. We have no hope and we have nothing without Christ. Because he's our living stone. Not only is he our living stone, but we see letter B, it says he is the chief cornerstone. Now, we don't build things the same today as they did in Bible days. It is interesting, though, that you could go to different places in the world hundreds and maybe thousands of years old and still see remnants of places there. Now, like if you were to go underneath this building, this building was built in 1896. It's an old building, almost as old as some of you in this room. But um, I won't go any further with that. But it's a, it's, a little, it's a little older than anyone in this room. The foundation here is different than what you would have on your house. If we were to crawl under the building, which we could. I was down there the other day because of this pump. You literally, there was about three feet underneath this building right here where we are. And it's dirt and sandy down there. Maybe some old bones down there. I don't know. I haven't dug down there. This was an old schoolhouse. That, a great haunted house, right? A haunted schoolhouse. And, no, anyway, no. Building fund money. Anyway, pay for the pump in one night. But anyways, just let the pump loose. And anyways, no. But um, how my mind went off on all that, I don't have a clue. But underneath there, there's a lot of sand. There's even a few places I can stand completely and not hit the right over by where the baptistry used to be, like right over here. If you were down under the building here, I could stand six, six feet down. You can stand. Now, the way the foundation is on this building, there are bricks along the sides, and then there is wood up to those bricks. And then every several feet in here, there are wood braces. There are wood trusses that go and wood braces. It's all wood with some cement there. And it's been around a long time, and this wood is so dense. I mean, when we cut out this wall here to put in the, uh, the side room, because this used to be a side room with just a door at the edge here, it, they went through probably 10 or 15 sawzall blades to get through the wood. It's that, it's that tough. And so they don't make them like they used to. That's literally true of that stuff. Today, you can take a 2 by 4 and bend over your knee, and it bends almost. And, uh, but today, you have a foundation that's laid, and your foundation is key to how your house is going to be. And you don't have the foundation right, your house isn't going to be right. In Bible days, they didn't have a foundation. They didn't do it like this here. They started, they had what was called the cornerstone. And this stone was in the corner. And this stone, if it was not level, if it was not straight, your whole house would be messed up because of it. And your house could be slanted. Your house might not be what it needs to be because it was all based on how that cornerstone was set. So as we look at this, we see that Christ is what our lives should be set on. He is the chief cornerstone. And Jesus called himself the chief cornerstone in Luke chapter number 20, verse 17. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. He is prophesying about himself here. He is the cornerstone. And when we think about that, he is what our life needs to be built upon. 
not only do we see that he is a living stone and the chief cornerstone, but we also see that he's the stone of stumbling. How many of you have ever stumbled over a, a rock before? Anybody ever stumble and trip? Now, for me, sometimes, it's those invisible ones that get me the most. Has that ever happened to you? I'll just be walking outside, and I'll, be like, and I'll trip, and I'll be like, there's nothing there. Now, those invisible stones, you've got to really watch out for the invisible ones. But you say, why would a stone, what happens when you stumble? You fall, or you gracefully do whatever and try to avoid falling. But most of the time, you end up falling. And then you look around to see who sees you. It was, just a, it was just it was about two months ago, I was running in the neighborhoods through here. And you know, some of these sidewalks, they raise up just a little bit. And me, I could be listening to the Bible, I could be singing a song, and I might close my eyes and I'm singing, and I shouldn't close my eyes ever, it just happens sometimes. And there was this one spy, just boom, down on the ground. And I'm just laying there. Ow. And I rolled over and I'm just laying there. I'm like, I gotta get up. And I'm like, I'm okay. I just got to see if anybody saw this. And there were some people that saw me. And I got up. My pride got hurt more than anything at that moment. They said, well, why would Christ be a stone of stumbling? If you don't trust him as your Savior, you're going to stumble and fall right to the pits of hell. He is a rock of offense to those that don't trust in him. So as we look at Christ today, and you think in Bible days, they didn't have concrete like we do today. The toughest material they had was stone. And so the foundation of Jesus Christ, we see today that he is the living stone. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the stone of stumbling to those that disobey, to those that don't trust in him. And then letter D, we see that, G, that Christ was chosen by God. You see, as you look there, it says he was chosen of God in verse number 4. In verse number 6, it says he's elect. The word elect, chosen. Christ was chosen by God. That's what the Bible says about Christ. Then we also see letter E, that Christ is precious. It says that he was um, the living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Three different times you see precious in verse 4, verse 6, and verse number 7. And Jesus referred to as precious, it means honored, esteemed, valuable. So this morning, church, I want you to realize this morning who Christ is. He is the living stone. He is the cornerstone our life is supposed to be built upon. And to those that don't trust him, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He was chosen by God, and he is honored, esteemed, and valuable. Christ matters for us. Now, because of who he is, we see, number two, our privileges as Christ's followers. Now look at what we get, or what we are, because of Christ. We see, letter A underneath this, that we are stones in God's temple. Look at verse 5. Ye also, as lively stones. Now, do you see? If you're a believer, a child of God today, you're supposed to be a lively stone. You're not supposed to look so dead when you come to church. Wake up and liven up a little bit. Didn't change anybody there, so. You can smile. It's okay. We're lively stones. That's what it says right there, right? We were dead stones. Now we're alive. Thank God for that. But as we look at this and we think about the fact we're stones in God's temple, now let's think about the temple for a minute. We think about the temple in the Old Testament. 
That temple was a certain spot, and that's where God's presence was, and that's where the people had to come to. After Christ died on the cross and rose again, you notice the temple was destroyed. I believe God had his hand in that because the temple was not needed anymore. The temple, there was no need for a temple because God's presence was not just in, remember with the woman at the well? Oh, you got to go to Jerusalem to worship. No, God's a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the temple didn't matter anymore. You know, last Sunday morning we were outside. The building doesn't make the church. The building's nice and the building is a good thing to have, but the building doesn't make the church. Being outside didn't make it a church. The people is what makes it a church. Now, this is what we got to realize this morning. I know I'm a Baptist this morning, but the Bible, and as we look at this, this were, these were several churches being spoken to at one time. So we see the fact that if you're a child of God, you are part of God's building of his temple. We are his temple, right? So we are all stones in his temple. So just as this building was built with brick and all these different things, God's building his church. He's building his temple. And in building his temple... Everyone that gets saved and trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, he's building those stones, building up. So let's think back for a minute. Hey, you need to quit thinking bad thoughts and wanting to harm people by the words that you say and the deeds that you do. You need to quit leading people astray. You need to quit being hypocritical. You need to quit envying what others have. And you need to quit talking behind people's backs. Because, because of who we are in Christ, you are a stone in God's temple. And you're a stone, and guess what? So are they. Christ is the chief cornerstone. And if you're a child of God, I don't care what your background is, what church you associate with, if you're a saved child of God, you're one of those stones. And your stone's just as important as someone else's stone. And the Baptists don't have a certain section of stones, and the Lutherans don't have theirs, and the Church of Christ, they, there's not, that's how it works. Calvary Chapel has their own, no, no, that's not how it works. We're not, and that's the whole thing. We identify with all these different groups today, but you got to understand something. Someday we're going to be one called out body. We're stones. That's why get along with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, I don't like them. You're just another stone too. You're just, you look just like that. What's, why should one dirt ball get mad at another dirt ball, right? Why should one stone look at another stone and say, I just don't like that stone? That stone's not as nice as my stone. No, you're a stone too. We're all a part of God's temple. It's okay. So because of Christ and what he's done, we see that we're stones in God's temple. And how awesome that is. He's, build, and he's building his church. He's building his body. He's building his temple out of us. And every time someone comes to Christ, it's another stone being built. And he's building, and he's building, and he's building. What an awesome thought that is. That's why you need to get along with God's people. There are people that I might disagree with on certain things, on certain doctrinal issues, but if they're saved children of God, we can be nice. We can treat them with respect. We can love them, and we can be good to people because we're all stones in God's temple. Because of Christ, we're stones in God's temple. Let her be. Let her be. We see we're priests, part of the priesthood. That's an awesome thought right there, isn't it? We're part of the priesthood. As we look at that, and we think on that, we see the Bible says, look there in verse number 5, it says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. We see that house is being built by all the stones. And look what it says, And holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God by Jesus Christ. 
Now, the way it worked in the Old Testament, the priest, the high priest, would offer the sacrifices. People didn't offer their own sacrifice. They took them, and the priest would do them. That's how it would work. Now, you got to understand something. Thank God today you don't have to go to a priest to do your sacrifice for you. When Jesus Christ came as our high priest, picturing the high priest in the Old Testament there, he's our high priest. Because he is our high priest, he's our go-between with God. You don't need a pastor or a priest to be your go-between between God. You have Jesus. He is the perfect high priest. You don't need anybody else. In all honesty this morning, we are all priests. You don't need to confess your sins to me. You can confess your sins to God through Jesus Christ. And praise God for that. I wouldn't have any time to do anything if I had to hear all your sins. And then I don't know who I'd go tell all my sins to. That would take a while, too. When we look at Christ and we think of these things, we think about some thoughts about, under this priesthood here, some of the offerings that we're to offer the, offer the Lord. Number one, we see offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul talks about this. Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As priests, we are all priests, right? We should be offering the sacrifice of a living sacrifice to him. We should also, let, number two, offering praise to him. Regardless, and I, I saw someone word it this way, and I kept this, regardless of which band is leading us. People get caught up on this or that, or I don't like that song, or I don't like this, or I don't like... You can praise him, no matter who's doing it. The Bible tells us, Hebrews 13, verse number 15, by him, Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise continue, or to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. As priests, we should be offering our bodies a living sacrifice. As priests, we should be offering praise to him. Letter C, or number three, we should be offering our tithes and gifts to spread the gospel. Oh, yeah, I had to mention money. Philippians 4, verse 18. Paul, I have all and abound. I am full and have received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of a sweet-smelling, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What did the church of Macedonia send? They sent their money to help them. And they gave out of their abundance or out of their, out of their poverty. That's Bible. We offer an offering to God in our tithes and offerings. It's pretty sad that most Christians don't ever offer God a tithe or an offering. I'll let you dwell on that one, think on that one, and I'll leave that one there. Next, number four, we should be offering our good works and possessions to him. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 16, as priests, the Bible says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You say, literally, all I did the past couple minutes is take in the New Testament where it talks about God is pleased with our sacrifices. And it comes in these areas. Being a living sacrifice, it comes in our praise to him, 
It comes in our giving. That was, was right there. And it comes in our good works. It's a sacrifice, and it's good, well-pleasing to God. And so, as we look here today, we see who Christ is. He is chief cornerstone. He is the living stone. He is the stone of, a, or the stone of stumbling or the rock of offense to those that don't believe in him. And because of that, we are all stones in God's house. We should get along. We are all priests. And because we're priests, we should be offering God's sacrifices, and we should be living for him because we're priests. Then we see letter C here. Not only that, but we're people that have purpose. Do you realize this world has no purpose? This world just doesn't get it. At all, they don't get it. We, but we have purpose. If you don't have Christ, what hope do you have? If, your loved, if you don't know Christ and want nothing to do with Christ, and your loved one dies, what hope do you have? Maybe they'll come back as a cow. Maybe they'll be a fly. Oh, no, their spirit will just float off forever. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we believe to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We believe in a place called heaven, and we believe in a place called hell. We have purpose. When we talk about this purpose, we see some other things. Look at what, and we see that Peter here mentions, hey, those that don't believe and those that disobey, they reject this and all these things happen, but that's not how it is for you. You have purpose. What is our purpose? We see, first of all, we're a chosen generation. Do you see that right there? A chosen generation. When we think about a chosen generation, when you think about when God in the Old Testament, he chose Abraham to start a nation with. And God set the children of Israel. They are, they are his children. Now, I understand as we study Daniel's time clock in the book of Daniel, that when they cut off the Messiah, the Lord set them aside. He's still going to work through them. They're still his children. They are his chosen people. But may I just remind you, just as God chose them, God has chosen us. He's elected us. We are part of that chosen generation. You are a chosen generation, the Bible says right here. And you've got to understand, he's chosen the church. And praise God, we get to be a part of that today. And we have a purpose. We're a chosen generation. Next we see we are a royal priesthood. Now this is, you think about royal priesthood, the word royal here means belonging to the king. Isn't that awesome? We belong to the king of kings. We're in his priesthood. And we talked about the priesthood already, so I'm not going to go deeper into that. We see next, a holy nation. New life in Christ means that we become citizens of a new nation. You know, I am grateful today to be an American. I'm grateful for the country I live in. But may I just remind you of something? You are citizens of a greater country today. You are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And I might have some allegiance, and I pledge allegiance to that flag because I'm a citizen of the United States. But before I ever pledge allegiance to the American flag, I pledge my allegiance to God Almighty because he is the one. I'm, I'm part of his nation. And in God's nation, there is no red, brown, yellow, black, and white. There is no different races. They're all one in him. There's no male, no female. They're all one in him. And we're part of that, that holy, that set-apart group of people. Next we see we're a peculiar people. And a lot of you are very peculiar. So you fit in real well here in that. And we tease about that often. And some of the, someone who laughed the loudest, there's one of my most peculiar ones. But anyways, 
Do you know what the word peculiar actually means? A people for his own possession. We are God's possession. We are a peculiar people. There's a difference between you and someone that doesn't know the Lord. You're his. You belong to him today. Number five, we see that we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And church, may I just remind you today, our world is in darkness. And our world, they just don't get it. Do you realize that? They don't get it. Our governor doesn't get it. Did you see this last week that he put billboards in Texas and all these states? Come to California and you can have your abortion. And then he had the audacity to put a Bible verse on those billboards. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It's blasphemous is what it is. But may I just help you this morning. I don't expect a lost man to understand the things of God. He's in darkness. He's blinded to it. What I don't understand is those who are in the light who are agreeing with that garbage. That's what I don't get. Because you're not in darkness anymore. You know, sometimes we look at this world and this world's not going to get it. They're in darkness. You ever try to walk around in the dark? You trip and you fall a lot. That's what this world does. But we are not in darkness anymore. We're in light. So why is it that we're still tripping over all the things that the world is tripping over? You have the light. You have the book. Oh, I shouldn't do that. So I'm not going to do that. This book will light your path. It will guide you. It will direct you on where you need to be. We've been called out of darkness. This world's going to do its thing. And I don't understand this world. We're not going to understand it. But it's crazy when people call themselves Christians. And you're called out of darkness into this marvelous light. And you don't get it. You're not blinded to the truth if you're saved today. The truth is going to set you free. The truth is right there in God's word. And we need to follow God's word, follow what it says. You see, Christians today, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And number six, we've obtained mercy. We were not a people, and now we're the people of God. We hadn't obtained mercy, but now we've obtained mercy. And thank God for his mercy. You see, he's going through this letter with the people there. In our churches, we've got to get rid of this stuff. We've got to get rid of the malice. We've got to get rid of the envying. We've got to get rid of the hypocrisies. We've got to get rid of the guile. We've got to get rid of the talking behind people's backs. We need to get into the word of God. We need to know who Christ is. And because of who Christ is, know who we are. And as we do that, there are some things that we should be doing because of who we are in Christ. Thirdly and lastly today, we see our priorities as Christ followers. Look at verse 11 and 12. In all reality, I literally could take the rest of the chapter and continue with this, but I'm just going to give you 11 and 12 so you can go home, and then two weeks we'll continue on. Verse 11 and 12. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil, they speak against you as evildoers, they may speak, or they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. As we look at this and we see what we need to remember in our priorities, number one, or letter A, 
We need to remember that this world's not our home. That old song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, it's very true. This world is not our home. We should not fit in with this world. We can enjoy this world and the things that God's given us in this world, but we are not a part of this world. This morning, I got to church early and I walked, I went on a walk this morning, and I walked by my old house about a mile from here. You know, I paid good money for over two years to live in that house. I thought about just going and walking in because that was my house. How do you think those people would have felt if I just walked into that house this morning? It's not your house. It's not. It was mine for a little bit. It's not my house anymore. I can walk into my house. I like going down to my parents' house. They live in the same house I grew up in. And they're still living there. And every time I go in, it just has the sense of home. It, just, it even still has some of the smells from my childhood. There are certain closets. You, they haven't probably used those closets in years. But I'll just open it up and, ah, it's just that smell. I love that smell. There's just things I, I, there's just things I like about it. I like going in. It's going to be weird in Minnesota. I've loved, for, you know, for we married 16 years. I've been going to her house for 17, 17 years off and on. And her mom always has the light on outside, the little porch light. You know, better than Motel 6. She always left the light on. I don't know how she got away with that because I know my father-in-law and the way he is with tight with money is probably counting the, the electric meter, how it was going around for that light bulb. But anyways, I won't go deeper into that, but just walking in the house there and whatever, you go in the kitchen, you could be gone. It's been two years or three since we've been there. We get there, it's just like home. We just, it's, it's home. You don't get that feeling in this world. That's why when you find a good church, you find home. It's home. You walk in, you feel apart. It's home. There are some churches you walk in, you're like, whoa, this isn't home. There are some you walk in, it's home. This world, it's not our home. You're not going to fit in with this world. Quit trying to fit in with this world. And that's, he says we're pilgrims. We're strangers. This world's not, it's not our home. Not only that, but letter B, we see we're at war against, with sin. Look at what it says there. It says, Dearly beloved, he's like, I'm bet, and it's, isn't it? Peter and Paul were opposites in so many things, but their writings are so similar. They talk about all that the Lord has done, and then they beg you, beseech you on behalf of God to live right because of what the Lord's done. Same, same setup. Look there at verse number, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. You know, what's he talking about? What were we talking about at the beginning of chapter number two? The malice, the guile, the hypocrisies, the envies, and the evil speaking? Hey, Christian, we're at war with sin. Don't live that way. Hey, you, pastor, I just don't like that person. We are all stones in God's temple, if we're saved. We're a part of the royal priesthood. We belong to God. You are no better than they are. And you should be able to get along with God's people. And we need to put away, abstain, put it away, these fleshly lusts that war in us. And as we do that, we see lastly, let us see we need to live right, or you could just say get along with God's people. 
this world, that's a foreign concept to them. You know, but the average church is no better than Congress. We're arguing left and right about every little thing. They need to see that God's people are different. We love one another. We can get along. We can be unified together. That's what happened there a lot of times in the early church. God really blessed when they were unified and working together. But as we look at that and we look at the end there, it just says, and why, why these things? Why? Because when we live right, when our life is lived, when we get along with God's people, it is a testimony to God and it brings glory to his name in a wicked and perverse world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to give God a good name in this world. People need to look, wow, there's something different about them. Yeah, there is because we're chosen by God. We're part of a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a peculiar people. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been given mercy. We've obtained mercy. There is something different. And you could have that too if you'll come to Christ. We need to get along and love one another. Because God's doing a work. And we and this world needs to see that God's people can love one another. That's how I know they're my disciples. If you love one another, that's what Jesus said. Those were his words. We don't need to give in to our culture or withdraw ourselves from our culture. We need to stay focused on what God would have us do and be a light in the midst of the darkness and let Jesus shine in a dark, perverse world.